2: All the pitchers that stand with the gun come up to me, and they're like, what in the world was that? I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, do you know how hard you were throwing? And I, I think I, I gave them a guess, you know. And I was sitting 95 to 97 on the gun.
3: Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we are talking to former professional baseball players about their journey through amateur baseball all the way up through the big leagues. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today I'm talking to longtime big league right-hander Russ Ortiz, best known for his work with the Giants and Braves. Russ is the first guy we've had on the show who's pitched in the College World Series, which he did as a member of the Oklahoma Sooners, and the World Series, which he did in the 2002 series as a member of the Giants. If you listened to a previous episode, you heard Russ discuss the latter experience, that World Series versus the Angels, how he bounced back from a tough game two to put up a solid game six. Today, Russ takes a deep dive on his entire career, having to pivot to a new option when your dream school doesn't work out, converting from a closer to a starter in the minor leagues, the experience of being traded and free agency, and I had to ask him about the experience of playing with Barry Bond, sharing that clubhouse. Russ was very generous with his time. Uh, It made for a great episode episodes of from phenom to the farm drop every other tuesday if you enjoyed this one and haven't yet go check out past interviews we got like 15 or so in the tank uh, all really good and subscribe wherever you get your pods for upcoming episodes also make sure you subscribe to baseballamerica.com for all amateur baseball and prospect news gearing up for a very interesting offseason and baseball america is going to have you constantly updated on that it's always a good time to be a ba subscriber especially with college baseball season starting up soon as well for future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Russ Ortiz. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, fourth-round pick of the Giants in the 1995 draft out of the University of Oklahoma, former MLB All-Star right-hander Russ Ortiz. Russ, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
3: Of course. Been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, before we get into it, can you uh, why don't you tell me about your golf brand 2GG apparel?
2: Yeah, so uh, when I retired in 2010, I wanted to do something that uh, I enjoyed and that made a, an impact, and that all came from uh, my love of, you know, helping in the community when uh, when I got to the big leagues, and which was something that was recommended by a minor league coach, uh, mainly just to get away from the pressure and just just, uh, just concentrate on something else. Uh, something other than than myself and and get involved in the community and so i did that right away um in 98 and 99 and and I, and it really helped and i got involved with volunteer programs and i loved it and so i did that the rest of my career and uh and just became passionate about it and along the way uh playing the big leagues getting to play with some people in, in San Francisco and then especially in Atlanta, um, golf became a passion of mine. Uh, I played it before, but I really, really got into it uh, in the big leagues. And so, uh, yeah, so after I was done playing ball, I started a golf brand called 2GG Apparel and that's built out a passion for golf and giving back. And so we've we we we've given all, 100% of our uh, profits to charity. And so, you know, it's not that I don't take anything from it and uh, it's all geared towards making, you know, great uh premier golf apparel for men and women and be able to use our proceeds to help help people and, you know, un- unfortunately with covid and all that stuff, um it just it hit us pretty hard cuz we're just a small brand and so we'll be, you know, shutting down um our store at the end of the year uh and just, you know, selling on- online after that. Uh, just with whatever inventory we have left, so so really right now it's just our our prices. You can't. It's hard to t- to go any lower, uh, and, you know, with prices. And um, we just have some unbelievable stuff. Uh, really proud of what we've done uh, with our gear, uh, and I'm really proud of what we've done and helping people around the world. And uh, so it's been a really cool adventure, and you know, sad to see it go, but uh, I you know. I and the people that have worked alongside me could could hold our heads up high knowing that, you know, we helped a ton of a ton of people over these last seven years.
3: Well, you were noted in your career for for doing that, for for working with the community two time nominee of the uh, for the Roberto Clemente Award. But let's go back to to grown up to high school, uh, you know, playing baseball in the California area. When, you know, grown up, did you start to realize that playing baseball at the next level was going to be a real possibility for you?
2: Oh, boy. Um, well, ever since I was five, that's that's all I wanted to do. Um, and so that was just a dream that I was trying to achieve the whole time. So, you know, constantly practicing on my own or with my brother, who's only, you know, 10 and a half months older than me. And we were always throwing the ball, you know, pitching to each other and uh, practicing, practicing, practicing. And, and so I just always had that dream, and i think I think when I turned thirteen it was a fall uh after I turned thirteen uh so which would have been was it eighty seven playing pony baseball is gonna be my second year for for pony league Pony league at Encino Pony League, and I just remember all of a sudden things just clicked, you know, I got a little bigger, a little stronger, hitting a bunch of home runs pitching well and uh so that was really the first time where i thought you know man you know i could possibly really do something here uh as far as you know going and playing varsity baseball and then maybe something beyond that and so i think that was the first time where i really felt confident in my ability because before that i was kind of like just middle of the road you know was good but nothing spectacular and and uh so then once I made the varsity team as a freshman, that's when I really saw that, you know, I have an opportunity to potentially take this further. And, um, and yeah, and uh, I had great coaching, uh, great head coach and great pitching coach throughout high school, uh, great other coaches. Um, and so they just helped me develop more and more. And, and uh, once I got past my junior year, um, which I did really, really well, that's when I first thought, you know, I'm for sure going to be able to, I thought for sure I'd be able to get a college scholarship. And if I can produce again my senior year, maybe I'll get drafted, you know, maybe start down the the road of, of achieving my dream.
3: So, what was your your recruitment like? How do how did you wind up signing with the University of Oklahoma? How do how did they talk you into coming to Norman from California?
2: So it's uh, it's actually a little crazy um, because I was recruited somewhat. Um, you know, I was one of the top pitchers in the San Fernando Valley, but uh, I, I think what happened was is I threw decently hard um, and had you know. Three pitches and all that stuff, but you know we were such a small school, uh, but we played big time programs uh, a lot of times. But we we're such a small school, I think that was one of the things that didn't help the cause. And so, so I got recruited by you know like Long Beach State and uh, I think Sacramento State um, and, and a, a couple other schools. Uh, but I really wanted to go to Pepperdine and. Um, so I, I got the opportunity to, to talk to coaches, stuff like that. It was just really expensive. And uh, with the scholarship that they offered, I think it was about 70, 75% scholarship, we still couldn't afford it. And um, so it was going to be tough for me to do that and, you know, got letters and talked to other schools. Um, and kind of funny story, my, my, my brother was actually sending uh, videotape. And, and information to schools. I mean, he was sending them to Oklahoma State, Miami, LSU, Texas A and M schools like that. Uh, you know, big time schools. Um, and got a call back from a couple of them, and actually, you know, from Ohio, Oklahoma State got a, a recruiting trip out of it. And so, um, so they offered me a scholar a scholarship, and uh, and I just. I I, I didn't turn down anybody, really. I just said, I'm just going to hold off and wait a little bit. And my pitching coach from high school came from the college ranks, and um, he was a pitching coach at Pepperdine. And he got to know the coaches that were at Cal State Fullerton that eventually went to Oklahoma. And so he's the one that helped set up that introduction. And I went to take a visit, sat down with the coaches, absolutely love the coaches. I love the slow pace of, of Oklahoma. And yeah, the next thing I know, uh, and basically from the word, trusting my, my pitching coach, you know, they offer me a really nice scholarship. And, and that, you know, I decided that that's where I wanted to be.
3: Despite having interest in joining the pro ranks after high school, Russ got little attention while pitching at a smaller school. He headed to Oklahoma and contributed right away as a freshman on a pretty mediocre Sooners team. However, in the two years that followed, OU began to raise its national profile and look to compete for a title. You mentioned uh, wanting to compete to win a national championship. Uh, Heading into your junior year, when did you you actually think that you were playing on a team that could win the College World Series? Because I think any team with decent talent, you go into the spring saying, you know, oh, this is our year, we're going to win conference, we're going to get to Omaha. When did you fully believe that this was something that could happen?
2: So our... uh after my freshman year, we went very good. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, I, I think I came back after my freshman year and played in like a California Wood Bat League. Um, so I went back, a lot more confidence, went to the sophomore year and, you know, travel with the team every, everywhere. Um, we played a tournament in Cal State Fulton. And Georgia Tech was a part of that tournament. And at that time, I think they were number one or two in the country, and we beat them. That's when they had uh, Veritech and Nomar, I believe. Nomar, Jay Payton, yeah. And so uh, so that was the first time that myself and I think everybody else knew how good we were. And we just kind of rode that out. And and that's the year we won the national championship. It was that, that same year, in sophomore year, and we beat Georgia Tech. In the in the championship game, uh, again I think it was like thirteen to five we beat them. So that you know that, but that tournament at the beginning of the season, I think was really the catalyst for us to you know to realize that we have something special here. And and it was really cool because you know we all were playing for the same goal. Everybody does in college, you know. You play to win a national championship, and so we were on on the same road on the same path to that and it all year long we didn't panic we didn't worry about if we lost a couple games or not it was just we you know we we knew we were good and we just pushed each other uh we picked up each other all that stuff and it became a special group of of guys and i mean to this day we all i mean two three dozen of us still will have a group chat and talk uh every time we have some uh, deal at at OU uh to get you know baseball reunion get together there's a ton of us that go and uh it just pick up where we left off and you know it's, it's we, we've been buddies for a long time and so that you know that's how I know it. it was a special group and um and then our junior year we went back to the college world series and um we I think we lost the first two games and we're out but still to be able to do that back to back years, um, you know, was really special. And that, and that, you know, you give a lot of credit to their coaching staff. I mean, they prepared us well.
3: You've pitched in the MOB playoffs, the World Series, and All Star Game. Where does pitching in
2: Omaha rank among that? Well, I didn't get to pitch <laughs> in Omaha in either either in year, and oh in the national championship year, and um, in, in my junior year, this the second time. I got to pitch the last two innings of our second game, uh, you know, we were getting blown out and, but I had already gotten drafted at that point. Um, so. So it wasn't
3: quite the magical getting to pitch in Omaha experience for you then.
2: No. Uh, but I, I, the thing for me that was cool is, is I pitched against USC. And so they had, you know, guys, you know, Jeff Jenkins was on the team, um, I believe Chad Moeller was on the team. Um, a, a, a teammate that next year, Ben Tucker is one of their their pitchers. Um, who else? There's a couple other guys. I'm I'm I'm, I'm missing their names, but uh, they got to play professionally as well. And so, so I knew who these guys were, and uh, and so it it you know I it helped elevate the the moment for me, even though we were getting crushed. <laughs> um, you know, I got to pitch the last two innings and, uh, as a drafted player, you know, there was that up up until that point, I had never felt adrenaline like that, um, ever before. And so, so it it still was a special moment for me, even though we lost the game, you know, and again, I know this (laughs) sounds maybe mean or self, um, self, you know, uh, serving, but, uh, Those two innings, as a drafted player, I was just like, "This is, I want to show off. I want to show the Giants who drafted me, like what they're getting. Um, I wanted to make my coaches proud, my family proud, you know, for all that they did to help me. Every coach, and and all that stuff. So, so I did use it as a moment for myself to, to you know, as a thank you to everybody. Of like, you know, I'm going to show everybody just how how much help they were for, to me and, and to go out there with, with everything I got, you know, on TV, um, and, and try to just light it up and, and, uh, you know, and it went pretty well. And so, um, so yeah, so it was a good ending for me, you know, for my, my college career.
3: Well, it was a good ending. You get picked by the Giants in the fourth round, but your, your junior year itself didn't, didn't quite start out how you wanted it and you ended up being in a reliever and having a good season out of the bullpen that year. How did you how did the draft process work out for you? Did you have an idea of where you get picked and were you, was your goal to be a professional reliever?
2: Well, so yeah, so the, the going into that junior year, I I after we won the national championship, I went to the Cape Cod League um which is a big deal. And uh, I did well there. So, going into the next season, my junior year, which is the year that I wanted to get drafted, you know, I wanted to go to college, play for three years, get drafted, and go, you know, go start, try to achieve my dream of being in the big leagues. And for whatever reason, um, I, I guess I just wasn't doing well enough. Um, I don't remember doing that bad, but uh, I. I didn't suit up for games. I'd go out for BP and stuff like that. And then during the home games, I'd go sit in the stands and chart pitches, chase foul balls in my regular clothes and all that stuff. I didn't travel with the team for about a month. I just threw bullpens with our pitching coach, Vern Rule, uh, who played a long time in the big leagues. And um, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I, you know, my wife now, girlfriend at the time, uh, I think for, for Easter We, you know, out, the team was somewhere and I went with her to visit her brother in Dallas. And so I'm like, I should be playing right now, but I'm, I'm here, you know, where
3: were you mentally at that point after being, you know, after hearing, you know, pitching well in the Cape, where are you and being a junior and being a draft eligible junior, were you just completely despondent? Were you pissed off? Like, how do you, you know, how do you go about handling yourself at that time?
2: Oh, it was was everything. I was, you know, I mean, all the emotions, I was very disappointed. I was sad. I was angry. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, man, I'm going to have to come back to school one more year. You know, um, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I made was not, it was just getting by in school, you know, not really, digging in the school. So I was like, man, I got to do this again. I may have to do this again next year. Um, but I, I'll say that my pitching high school, his name is Tim Montez. He and Vern Rule, uh, who they were really good friends. Um, they both really inspired me to not lose hope, not lose faith to, and Vern, um, when I say I literally threw bullpens just about every other day I mean that's literal and um and he was on my side he was pushing me he wanted to see me pitch and so so having him do that for me um helped me to not lose heart and um you know and my faith you know played a big part in that it's just like you know this is not the path that I was thinking that I was going to be on but you know I don't always have control over the situation so so I just needed to within the within with what the cards I was I was dealt I need to do everything in my power to to take care of things I can control and I had a great pitching coach and the co- other coaches are great too but especially Vern um, you know in my corner behind me and and he got me ready to to pitch in, in about a month and then Once I got back in, I, I mean, I, I tell you all the confidence, I had all the confidence in the world in myself because of the work we did. And, uh, but I came out of, out of the bullpen and, uh, did well, closed out, uh, I think a couple games and then they let me be the closer. And so like the last month, month and a half, I was a closer and I felt like I did really, really well. And, uh, and i think that's what the giants really saw uh in me is you know those last month and a half of the season and and then at the world series you know have a message on my phone from the giants and i call the scout back and he told me that i got drafted in the 4th round and i was i was blown away i mean just the way that the year had gone um i was blown away but uh at that when he told me that that second after he told me that, I I knew I was like I'm I'm going to play professional after we're done here, um, so uh, so it's it a big weight lifted off, but it's just crazy how it all ended up, you know, going from me not even dressing out and traveling with the team to now getting drafted in the fourth round, you know, so that's that's just kind of a testament, uh, you know, an example of, you know. I I didn't have control over any of this um, and, you know, in which I wanted to try to have control. But uh, but in the end, it's just it's just, you know, trusting the people that are trying to help me and just working hard as hard as possible and just doing my job. So the Giants sends you out as a
3: reliever what is the biggest adjustment to minor league baseball in terms of being a bullpen guy versus college ball? Cause in college you're still just pitching. You, you just got your games on weekends, the occasional Tuesday. What is the difference in, in learning a bullpen routine in minor league baseball? How's that adjustment go?
2: Um, well, so they, you know, as soon as I got there, I was a closer from day one, um, in short season, a ball in Bellingham, Washington. And so, uh, you know, I was tabbed as the closer, in which I just came from doing at, at OU. So, um, so it was a kind of is the same prep, you know? But uh, the one thing that I always tell people is in high school, Tim Montez taught us how to pitch at a college level. In high school, in college, Vern Rule taught us how to pitch. At a professional level in college, so when I got to Bellingham, I felt like I was easily prepared to face every single player there. And even when I got to high A ball in San Jose, same thing. I was like, "This is what Vern prepared me and others uh, for: is to be able to pitch at a much higher level than than in college." And so. Um, so I felt like I what I learned, what I knew was, you know, probably, you know, at a at a high A level for sure. You know, maybe kind of like a first year double A guy, and uh, so I so I went in knowing that, you know, I can mow down all these guys. But uh, I I would say though that the craziest thing to this day is just still boggles my mind is. In college baseball, in that last game in the World Series uh, in '95, I think I I think I saw me touch 93 miles an hour uh, on the radar. So I get to Bellingham, Washington, two weeks later, uh, pitch my first game. You know, the guys hadn't really heard much about me because you know I was kind of a nobody in, in college to you know someone to get drafted in the fourth round. So they were, they were interested in what I was all about. I, I clo- I pitched my first game, all the pitchers in the stand with the gun come up to me and they're like, what in the world was that? I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, do you know how hard you were throwing? And I, I think I, I gave them a guess, you know, and I was sitting 95 to 97 on the gun and I couldn't believe it. I was like, I don't. I don't don't can't explain it well so for the next year and a half when I closed I sat you know 95 and 97 pretty much and then um, even when I started I would touch you know 96 uh, a lot and so literally as far as I understand and I've asked my college teammates did I throw that hard at the end there and they said not that hard so whatever clicked whether it was a you know adrenaline from professional sports from you know being where i've always dreamed of being uh or just things just all of a sudden clicked um and i was throwing harder harder than i ever thrown in my life and that that's something that really helped me move up the ladder a lot faster than than uh, i probably ever would have
3: yeah, so that that velocity translated to to really good strikeout numbers. You're up to double A in your first full season. You're still in the bullpen. Um, I want to ask though about throwing strikes and being a, a higher walk guy, especially when you get into pro ball. It's it's a lot harder than just saying okay, throw the ball over the plate. When you ask someone to work on you know attacking the zone a little more, there's mental aspects, there's physical aspects. Over the course of your career, as it as it went on. How did you approach working on attacking the strike zone more and making sure that velocity that velocity played? What mentally goes into that?
2: Well, the so the biggest thing I you know I always um, was trying to hit spots whether I was throwing up in the zone, down the zone, in and out. I was, that that was my whole thing because in high school that's we worked on location, location, location with every, every pitch, and same thing in in college, and so. Um, so when I got to pro ball and I was throwing that hard, um, you know, sometimes the ball would get away from me a little bit, but because of the velocity that helped a great deal. And, and it's like today's game where, you know, you see guys throw a hundred miles an hour and, you know, there's not a lot of guys that spot that, you know, but you don't have to. Um, and so I kind of took that mentality of, I don't have to be perfect. Um, but that, you know, that got me in trouble sometimes deeper in counts and counts and everything. But uh, for me, it was a lot of times, you know, pitching up in the zone because guys are swinging, you know, they're wanting to swing. And um, especially when you have a guy that throws hard, you know, they want to, you know, guys want to show I can hit this guy. And so, so I try to use that to my advantage. Um, and uh, it, it, I got hurt with it, elevating the ball a little bit in Double A AA and Triple A, um, because they're just better hitters. And so, so once I got to Double A, I closed and I did fine. I did pretty good, uh, and Triple A did okay. Uh, but I learned I was like, I I better get a handle. If if I'm not gonna hit my spots when I when I want to, I better learn how to change speeds. Uh, I better learn how to dissect hitters and what where their weaknesses are and stuff like that and so so really when I struggled in in double a a little bit as a closer and then went to then the next year I was a starter and double a and then went to triple a I really learned a lot how to pitch Um, but I still always kept the same mentality even through my whole career just kept the whole same mentality of attacking my area that I'm pitching to and uh, because my ball had a lot of cut on it, a natural cut, I'd miss sometimes, you know, but the whole goal was to not miss in the zone. So if I'm throwing away to a right-hander, if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss off the plate. And sometimes I miss barely, and sometimes I missed, you know, by six inches. Um, And throw the next pitch, mix by six inches. Throw the next pitch, miss by six inches. But I never changed attacking that area because, you know, all the bullpens and all the other games, I saw my the arm slot that I needed to throw out of, the area I needed the ball to start, and, you know, I just kept working to do that. And, you know, and sometimes it got me in trouble by getting deep counts and long innings and long games and a lot of walks. Um, and, uh, you know, but... I just, I never wanted to give in and just throw pitches down the middle of the plate. Um, and so the thing I ended up becoming really good at was if I walked a guy getting a double play, if I walked two guys covering bunts and, uh, you know, or, or pitching to a guy bunting to get him to pop up or, 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 you know, get a bad bunt off of him. And so, so I became good at that stuff, um, but
3: uh, you made working out of jams your business.
2: I, I had to, <laughs> yeah, I had to. Uh, you know, I I ended up just realizing, and when I went to the Braves, well, the even in San Francisco, uh, you know, Dusty and you know Ron Pernasky was my first pitching coach, and then Dave Ruggieri, they're just like, this is you, you know, yeah, let's let's work early in the count, you know, uh, more of the plate, and then go do your thing. When I got to Atlanta, they said, we don't want you to change anything. Just be yourself. Cause they had Glavin who paints Maddox who paints Smoltz who paints. Um, you know, they had guys like Steve Avery, Danny Nagel may have been there. I mean, all those guys painted and I come in and they're like, don't worry about it. You be you. So, um, because my first thought when I got there was like, oh, I'm gonna have to do a better job of, you know, learning how to to paint the corners better and and hit my locations. And they said, you just be you. So I was like, great, you know. And I led the league in walks and wins in the same same year. And uh, you know, but I got myself out of jams and was still able to pitch, you know, quite a few innings and stuff. And you know, but I do go back and think, man, you know. If I just, you know, cut a a quarter or a third of those walks off, just imagine how many more innings I would have been able to pitch, you know, and potentially how many more wins I could have helped our team win and and stuff. But, you know, I I try not to think about too much. I just my whole goal was just to win the game.
3: Well, you mentioned uh you became a starter. How did that come about, and then how did you go about learning the starter's routine? Who did you lean on to show you okay, this is how you go about starting every you know taking the ball every five days because you did that you know as a habit for the next you know eight years
2: yeah, so after uh the ninety six season you know where i i saved thirty six games and you know uh between a ball and double a and uh you know was looking towards maybe in the next couple of years having a chance to make the big leagues and you know as a either as a closer or or some type of reliever and and stuff uh they Ron Pernaski I think it was him that came to me and said you know uh we want you to be a starter and my first thought was like I don't want to do that cuz that's going to hamper my me getting to the big leagues you know and the time frame that it was looking like, I had an opportunity to get there and so um, but they were just telling me just how you know, hey, we know you can close, we know you can do this. We think that you know because uh, I did have three pitches you know that I can throw, and so they said, we know you can relieve and do all that stuff, you know because you have these pitches, we you know we want to help develop those and we think you can be a a, a great starter. So I just said, all right, again, just trusting like I did in and college. Just all right. Just trust you guys and stuff like that. And uh yeah, so so I learned from Peranoski, you know, about how to develop a better routine. Uh and it's just other teammates, you know, asking them questions like, you know, how how do you how do you do get your routine down, you know, for to get ready and stuff. And so, because uh, it is a lot different, you know. I mean, as a closer you just you're sitting around watching a game, watching a game, and then you know when it's your turn. Or sometimes they're like, "We need you to get up," and and it's immediate. So this time, as a starter, you had time to prepare, and uh, so I had to learn how to prepare in such a way that I stayed locked in. You know, because once you become a starter, you're pitching every fifth day. Those four days you know, if you don't stay locked in to get ready for your next start, you know, you start slipping, you know, you fall behind. So, uh, so yeah, so just asking a lot of questions. And, uh, you know, when I went into the 97 year, um, and double A as a starter, and I think I was like three and three. And then they said, Hey, we're gonna move you to triple A. And uh, I was like, really? I mean, okay, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, but you just, you know, I, I'm not doing great, doing okay. But, and so I was like, all right. So I go up to AAA and I think I was like, I don't know, four and four in AAA. So I think, I think literally I was, I was like seven and seven that year with like a four ERA. And so I was like, okay, well, I learned a lot. I'm going to big league camp that next year. Um I'll learn a lot there and then go to triple A in 98 and you know see see uh how it goes from there. But I did really well in spring training and lo and behold in 98, you know, I make the opening day roster.
3: How did that decision come about? How did you learn that you were actually gonna travel to San Francisco with the club?
2: So uh uh so the family I was staying with Uh, and you know, at the time my uh, my wife's now my wife, um, we got married in 97, October 97. So, so she's now my wife. So, uh, she, you know, we're trying to figure out, am I going to Fresno or, or am I going to make the team? And so they send me down to, to AAA. Um, so I'm like, okay, there's our answer. And I was there for a little while in my camp. And next thing I know. Uh everybody's starting to talk about getting ready to, you know, get their cars up there and get get apartments and all that stuff. And a pitching coach says, Hey, uh, you may want to hold off on that. I'm like, okay. He's like, I can't say anything, but I'm just telling you, you may just want to hold off from making all those plans to go to Fresno. All right a couple of days go by whatever he comes up to me again he says it's not final but they're trying to trade somebody and if they do then they're going to call you up and so at that point you know I'm freaking out and uh I don't And know you're still th- sitting in Meyerly camp at this point Yeah right? I'm in Meyerly camp <laughs> you know I'm in uniform during during camp you know a camp day and uh, I can't tell anybody you know, nothing. And he's not even supposed to tell me, but he knows that, you know, I've been talking to my wife, we're all talking to our spouses or whatever, at, and getting arrangements done. And uh, so then the final time, he tells me, hey, tomorrow, he goes, if I were you, I'd pack your bags. And I'd. he goes, I would be ready for a call, you know, on opening day. He's like, I'd be ready for a call uh, if I were you. And so, I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, is is this really happening? And so uh, I go pack. I pack all my baseball stuff at the field. I go back to the place I'm staying. I pack all my stuff. I go to sleep. Obviously can't sleep very well. (laughs) Too excited. I get a call. It's about 6 in the morning. uh, Or the house does. Uh, Friends that I'm staying with, they said, hey, phone call. And uh, they tell me that, hey, we're calling you up. And uh, you need to be on a flight like at 8.30. And so so I was like, I, I to this day, I'm like, I'm so thankful for that coach because I had all my bags packed. All I needed to do was just hop in the shower and then go to the field, pick up my baseball stuff, and go the, go to the airport. I was like, can you imagine if he never told me anything? And I was like, that would have been such a scramble. But, uh, yeah, and then I was on, on my way in first-class flight, First time ever, first class to to Houston to play, uh, you know, to suit up for opening day at the Astrodome.
3: So uh, April second, nineteen ninety eight, which um, I think most people would recognize was my seventh birthday, but it's also your big league debut. <laughs> and you know, so walk me through that. Is that is that an outing that you can remember in vivid detail, or is that just a blur where you get back to the dugout? And you're like, wow, did that happen?
2: Oh no, every moment, um, you know, I, so when I got to Houston, uh, I'll just tell you this real quick. I got to Houston, my baseball bag doesn't make it. So I have no baseball gear. So, and you know, there's no cell phones. Well, I didn't have a cell phone at this time. Um, There are cell phones, but I didn't have one. Didn't have the number to the clubhouse, nothing. So I said, I got in a cab, went to the Astrodome, had no idea where to go in, nothing. We're driving around the thing trying to find anybody just to ask. Finally get in, you know, go see Dusty Baker and and check in with him, tell him what happened. So he's like, all right, I won't pitch you tonight. And uh, so I, I borrowed someone's gloves, someone's cleats. Um, you know, I wasn't prepared, but he said, I'm not going to pitch you. And so, uh, so I could at least rest easy there, just enjoy the moment, uh, but yeah, so the last day of the series, um I remember they uh tell me, "Hey, you're gonna pitch the uh eighth and the ninth, and so I think I got loose in like two pitches, <laughs> and it was you know, and the guys in the bullpen like, "Hey, hey, take it easy, you know." And I and I want to say that our inning in the top of the eighth went a little long, and so um, so those guys were just like, hey, we've been there, relax, just you know, kind of take it easy. Once you get to two outs. Then start heating up and just kind of gradually get in there. I mean, I'm sweating.
0: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. Buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
2: Everything, and so uh, so finally go in. I go out there from the bullpen to the to the mound, and something dusty that you know never forget it. When I when I checked in with him, he told me he says whenever you get in, he says finish your warm up pitches. He says take a look around. He's like enjoy the moment, take it all in. Um, you know. You've earned your place here, and uh, just enjoy the moment. And he's like, you know, they're going to they're gonna announce the, the hitter. Let him step in. You know, give the hitter his due because he's earned it as well. And then he said, then get to work. And so I did it exactly that. I remember I warmed up on the mound. The mound scene, it was like the highest mound. It felt like the highest mound I've ever been on. I mean, it's the Astrodome, you know. It's It's... Where they call it like the eighth one eighth wonder of the world, or something like that, that is correct, yeah, and uh and it was just the coolest thing, you know, just like the kid in bad news bears when he's looking up, you know into the astrodome, so um, yeah, so I finished warming up, uh, they throw it around, I get the ball back, I go behind the mound, and I just look around, you know, and I'm just like, this is the coolest think ever you know like you just think about all the dreams and all the work and all the people that helped and all that stuff to get to this moment and I step on the mound they announce the hitter Sean Barry who coincidentally I his brother was my teammate at Oklahoma Um, so I heard about him and knew about him and uh, so I was just like all right you know show him the respect because he's earned it and being there and then it was like like, I just flipped a switch and just said, All right, it's time to get to work. And, uh, yeah. And then that that was it. And, uh, you know, I struck, I struck out, struck him out. Um, and I just remember, like, I was trying to throw as hard as I possibly could, you know, and, and I got to face this in the, in the ninth inning, I got to face, you know, Biggio, Bagwell, bill all the, you know, those guys. And, uh, um I think I had four strikeouts two innings four strikeouts two walks I mean uh four strikeouts yeah two walks um I believe and I can't remember if I get up a hit or not I don't think I did but uh but I just remember just everything about it was just euphoric I mean seeing when especially when BGO came up I was like man you know BGO Bagwell and Derek Bell i like it's it's like I mean it's like I watched these guys on TV now I get to face them and you know my first outing and um, you know it went really well and uh, from then on it was just like all right I could pitch up here
3: once you make the team in '99 and you are a a stalwart in the the San Francisco and the Atlanta rotation for the next you know the next few years what is the what, with that stability and you know you're taking the ball every fifth day, what is the day-to-day of a big league starting pitcher? What are the the adjustments in those four days start to start?
2: Well, so, so I, I learned early on um, from the guys in the bullpen uh, a lot about how to uh, watch hitters, how to dissect their swings, how to... Uh, watch for things that they change within each at-bat and each game and to watch our pitchers and even the opposing pitchers to see what game plans they have and stuff like that so so those guys made me like you know they kind of said you need to be watching and so so I learned a ton I didn't experience it out in the mound quite yet quite all of it quite yet but I learned a ton so um so each year, each start, uh in each year, you know, I always learn something. So so the routine that I develop is like okay, so I pitch, so the next day, um for me what was big is getting a jump start on the next team. So I know I'm gonna pitch against, you know, such and such team. So I'm asking the video guys to get me video of that next team. Um you know, um, if if the game's on TV, I'm I'm watching watching them on TV, writing down. I had so many pieces of paper of notes. Um, you know, it's cra- it's crazy, um, and I I'm not very organized, but I try to be as organized as possible. But so from day one after I pitch, day one, two, three, and four, it's all about studying the hitters, and at the same time, you know, doing all my running and weightlifting. Uh, and bullpens, and uh, and then scouting. You know, so if I'm in day three, and then you know in a couple of days I'm going to pitch against that same team, so then I'm I'm in scouting mode. You know, I'm scouting their 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 players, and uh, so I was fortunate to to have a group of guys in the bullpen. You know, really emphasize how important it was to 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 scout the players and to to understand the game better, uh, to learn, you know, to just continue to keep learning. So
3: you mentioned watching hitters. I'd be remiss not to mention that on those giants teams, you're witnessing probably the most impressive single player offensive stretch in baseball history, Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, kind of a media circus that came with it, especially after the, the home run record and everything. Does the attention that gets centered around a guy like Barry Bonds, everything that came with that the the good the on field you know the everything that came as far as probably a lot of media attention on your clubhouse does that affect you or any other you know regular on the team much in one way or the other and an ability to do your job
2: no, not at all um it it's media is nothing like it is today um you know back then you had you know your Couple beat writers and stuff, and then um, for Barry, there was just more, but for everybody else, you know, even after my start, you know, uh, it wasn't a big crowd, is you know, as you're your, the main people, you know, that were always there, and they traveled with us on the plane and stuff, and so, so they were just always around, you just the same people, but you know, for, for Barry, it's just always a bigger crowd, but where he was set up in the in the clubhouse was you know in his own area away there was like i think he had two lockers i had two lockers so it wasn't a big deal but but he had two lockers and then one for his son and then uh one more for so he had four total for him and his son and, and and someone else and then like marvin bernard was next to him with a couple lockers and i think maybe even sean dunstan but But he was in an area where they could crowd around him, and they're not in anybody's way. So, so the dynamic of uh, of the clubhouse was wasn't affected at all because we can move around and go in and out wherever we want to, and never run into to them. So, you know, for me, it was just it was wild because I was like, yeah, getting to play with, you know, arguably the most dangerous hitter you know, one of the most dangerous hitters to ever play the game. And uh, just to see him having to deal with a mob of, of, of you know, reporters pretty much every day, I'm like, man, I, I want to do well. And, you know, I know when you do well, you become more popular, but that seems like a big hassle. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, so having someone like him, especially for me, which – you know, and, and unless, you know, I'm talking baseball or you really get to know me, like I'm not a big talker. So, so that, you know, that, that would have made me uncomfortable. Um, and just thinking about it made me uncomfortable. And it's like, man, I'm glad I'm at where I'm at, you know? And, uh, but, uh, it, it was, it was a spectacle sometimes, you know, the bigger the game for playing on national TV, the bigger, the, the crowd around him was, but, uh, you know, in our at at home, like I said, it did not affect us one bit because we never felt invaded um, as long as they were you know with him um, but on the road it was a different story because don't have the luxury of that that kind of clubhouse but uh it was uh it was impressive to watch you know how how everybody handled it all, and I think the Giants did a great job of handling everything with him um but uh you know seeing a superstar like that you know was just was a it was a great experience for me to to be able to witness that and and uh be a part of that
3: i mean it's it's an offensive stretch like baseball hasn't seen in in decades um one of the things I all I, I will watch this on YouTube at least once a month this is home run in the O2 World Series which is my way of let's transition to the O2 uh, World Series Giants versus Angels If you want to hear about Russ's full experience in the 2002 playoffs including the 2002 World Series versus the Angels check out the previous episode of from Phenom to the Farm where we talk to a few players about their playoff experiences the World Series, you know, doesn't go your way. It does provide two of my favorite YouTube videos of all time: the uh, Bonds' home run and then JT Snow saving current uh, current cow bear Darren Baker oh, yeah. from, from from getting mauled. But yep. um, after that after that year with uh, with the Giants, you get you get traded in the offseason, season. Um, you know, how did you first hear you were getting dealt? How long do you have to get your bearings in a new city before you head to spring training? And at that time, do you, did you have kids at that time when you got traded?
2: Yeah, we had one uh, one girl, um, and she was only barely two years old. So you didn't um, have to do the
3: changing I, schools thing and and everything else no, that comes with moving cities. Yeah.
2: No, no. So uh, I remember my agent called me. I think it was like in November. Uh my agent called me and says, Hey, uh you need to call Brian Sabian. And I'm like, Okay. No idea, you know, um, after the ninety nine season, uh they offered, you know, a four year deal plus an option. Um, so I thought I was gonna be with the Giants for another two years, you know, another year for sure, and then an option year. And then hopefully more than that, you know. Um, so the last thing I even thought about was getting traded, and then Brian Sabian, he just said, you know, uh, hey, I wanna thank you for everything. It's about we traded you to Atlanta. And uh my immediately I was went back, you know, like we talked about earlier, just I was sad, I was frustrated, I was angry, I was confused, all that stuff. And so for about a minute, and then I quickly thought about, wait a minute, I'm going to Atlanta, home of uh, pitching heaven, you know, so to Leo speak. Leo Mazzoni,
3: Maddox, you know? Smoltz, Glavin, yeah, good place to be.
2: Yeah, great place to be. And uh, so I quickly got over that. Uh, Even though I hated to leave San Francisco, but, you know, Sabian was awesome and, and, uh, you know, it's business. And so that was my first real taste of baseball as a business. And so, uh, yeah, but I mean, so after the call, I mean, I was super excited because all I could think about was I'm going to a place where pitching has been phenomenal and I get to be a part of that. And, uh, yeah, so, like I said, you know, I came in and they said, hey, you just be you. That's it, you know. And, uh, and you know, Bob, so I got to, you know, play under Bobby Cox, another phenomenal person and manager. And uh, him and Dusty, they basically had a couple rules. It's like, look, be on time. Give me everything you got. Don't lie to me. Um, just take, you know, just do your do your thing. And that was pretty much all they said, and and uh, and uh, you know it was just, but it was all about you know our desire here is to win, and I remember one of the first days, you know Maddox, Smoltz, Chipper, you know we we're all talking, and they said, like we uh, we expect to win, we we expect to win the division, we expect to win the World Series, and so that was my first taste uh, of Atlanta. It's like they're there to win and it's business, you know, even though we had a great time, but we're there to win. And, uh, I was like, man, I love that from, you know, from day one, that was the attitude. And I was like, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for it. And this is, this is what I play for is to win. So, um, so I fit, I fit in there. I felt like I fit in there really well. And, um,
3: and you performed on the field too that year. You you made the All Star team and you finished fourth in Cy Young voting. What is the what is the best part about All Star Weekend? as a first time All Star?
2: <laughs> Honestly, it's it's when you get announced and if you get to play, and then when it's over because <laughs> it's 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 only a couple of days, but it's it's a it's a long couple of days and it's a lot and uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean getting to the stadium you know, you get a care package from, you know, uh, at that time I was with Nike. And so I get a care package from Nike. They gave us some special all-star cleats. Um, you know, you get jackets and t-shirts and everything, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you get to share a locker room with, you know, true all-stars. And, um, so that was cool. And then, but then you go do BP, they do the home run derby at first, the home run derby is awesome. And then, you realize there's a long ways to go. And, uh, so, uh, so I didn't, I, I, I left cause my family was there. Um, you know, my, my wife, my brother, cousins, friends and all that stuff. And so, uh, so we ended up going to eat and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. And then the next day, it's a long day and up until you get to the game. And, but then, yeah, once they call your name, you go out there super cool. And then it's like, all right, let's play a game. And, uh, and then you know it feels it feels like a normal game you know that you get the adrenaline going and all that stuff and uh so I got to pitch the fifth inning and uh uh it went well. I got to pitch to my catcher javi lopez and and so yeah, so it was really cool and and one of those things again you you dream you dream about um and when it's when it came true, I was like, you know. I can't believe I'm about to pitch in, in an all-star game, you know, um, just one of those pinch yourself moments. And, but again, like I told you before, just flip that switch and say, okay, now it's time to get to work and, uh, and just do that.
3: After two years in Atlanta, Russ hits free agency looking to sign with the ball club that's hoping to compete. The Diamondbacks view the durable right-hander as a good compliment to their recent signings of Troy Gloss and Tony Clark, signed him to a four-year, $33 million deal. Soon after getting to Arizona, Russ begins to battle with injuries for the first time in his career. Well, you mentioned the consecutive starts you'd made. You've been incredibly durable. you made no fewer than 32 starts from 99 to 2004. Uh, Your Arizona tenure suddenly becomes pretty marred by injury. You have that stress fracture in your rib. You have a calf injury. What's the the day-to-day like of a guy who's on the DL? And what is the you know, what, what's the mental toll, especially being the guy with the new contract, uh, new on the team, what is, you know, how much pressure are you putting on yourself to get healthy? Is that something that in retrospect, you might've gone a little too hard too quickly with?
2: No. So, uh, so I had a great April. So April went really well. Um, you know, I think I won one or two games, but I think the team won three out of my four starts or something like that. Uh, or three out of the five starts my goal every every month was to win three games um at least three games for our team uh, and hopefully three for myself because that ends up being 18 wins um at least 18 wins so so that was all my goal so so I think so I, I reached my goal throughout the first month so good stuff go into may just playing catch and stuff I'm like I noticed my side starts to hurt and, uh, so then it just gets worse and worse. And I, t- I tell the, the trainers and stuff like that, I said, but once I get loose, I said, it goes away. Once I get warm and, and adrenaline starts going, I go, it completely goes away. Um, but when I'm cold and, and all that, as I get like, really hurts. So, so we were just doing, you know, some treatment and stuff, uh, all the time. And, just trying to get get me to doing exercises and and things just to keep me warm. So I just try to get warm before I go play catch, before I throw a bullpen for a game and all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, so they were fully aware of everything. And and there, you know, but there was a part of me that was like, you know, I just signed here. Like I can't go on the DL. You know, I signed it. Part of of the reason why I was wanted by teams is because I was so durable, so – you know, no idea what happened. There's nothing that happened. There's nothing that I did that I felt anything. It was just one day I started playing catch. I was just like, wow, that that hurts. And uh, so I go through May, have a terrible May, um, and then go into June. And it started off okay. And then, yeah, just one game. I in be, Each inning, in between innings, I couldn't breathe. It was so hard to breathe. And so I went on DL. Get back home, find out there's a stress fracture. And so so at first I was just like, all right, well, it is what it is. I can handle it. And, man, after a few days or maybe a week, I found out, like, I can't handle this. Like, this is – it was torture because um, I couldn't do anything. I'd go to the field. I'd ice. They'd, they'd run me with some ultrasound and ice again. Then during the game, I'd come in halfway again I, and I just sat there. That's all I did is I just sat there and, uh, for, I don't know how many weeks. And, uh, um, so it was boring. I was trying to do the best I could to be a cheerleader, uh, you know, supporter of the team. And it was hard mentally. It was really hard. Uh, and, uh, so I did a bad job with that. You know, I, I handled that poorly. Um, you know, it's just, I, so I, then that's when I started feeling the pressure of like, man, I just signed. Now I'm down uh with an injury that our trainers didn't have any idea what to do. They've never experienced anything like what I had. So everything was just kind of, well, let's try this, let's try that. So as I was trying to come back, um everything was trial and error. And uh so it was really frustrating because, you know, we all didn't really know how to handle it and once I became fully healthy, it was really hard to forget about the injury and just throw normal. Um, and I, I really kept trying to protect my rib when I threw and I ended up developing, uh, I was a short arm pitcher anyways. I ended up developing a crazy short arm and, uh, and for about a year I couldn't, I couldn't throw hard anymore. And, uh, so 2006, I came back, um, you know, I worked out, you know, crazy hard cause I miss a lot of time in, in, in the off season and went into 2006 feeling great. When you throw bullpens and there's no hitters and there's no radar gun, you feel great. And then we get to the, to the games in 2006 and I'm getting crushed. And I'm like, ah, just getting, getting loose, you know, and it, I I always got crushed during spring training and I don't think they even had a radar gun so I don't think I realized how slow I was throwing and we get to the season my ball's moving a different way I'm getting crushed and all that and uh yeah I was lost and I'm throwing 86 miles an hour 87 you know and my ball's moving the other way and I'm like I I don't I don't know what to do, like, you know, but we need to figure it out. And so, so we just spent really all of 2006 trying to figure out how to get my ball to move the other way. Um, and, uh, yeah. And unfortunately then they ended up releasing me.
3: Well, after that, when you land with Baltimore, did you think that Baltimore was this fresh start and you had it figured out? Did you have any confidence or was it just, Hey, they want me to pitch. I'm going to try to figure it out there.
2: Well, the confidence I had was because I—I uh, I think I had two choices, and but uh, Baltimore Leo Mazzoni was their pitching coach, and that's why I went there, and because uh, I was just with him, obviously, and uh, so uh, so I—I I was hopeful, very hopeful, but still unsure about my stuff. So I get there, they let me start, you know. And I think I made three starts. The first start went okay. Second start, uh, eh, all right. Um, third start, uh, I didn't get anybody out. I pitched for about 20 minutes. I gave up, I think, six runs and didn't get anybody out. So I was like, well, it's probably the <laughs> the end of my time here. Uh, they called me into the office the next day. and I was, And at that point, I was like, all right, they're going to release me. You know, there's no reason to keep me there. They're only paying me minimum salary um, because Arizona's taking care of the rest. And so then they tell me, well, we're going to put you in the bullpen. Um, And in my mind, I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, honestly, like, why keep me here? Like, I'm not helping you. Uh, The team was like 20 games out of first place at halfway point. Why even keep me there? Um, so, and then Leo said, all right, you got, he goes, let's look at video stuff. I said, I've looked at so much video and he's like, well, let's just look. So the next day we look, he finds something. He says, let's try that. I, I am not kidding. When I say what we tried, I immediately started throwing low to mid nineties. Um, and, uh, we just, so that's all we did. Just kept there. Then when they felt confident enough to me to go actually pitch in a game, I'm throwing mid nineties again.
3: What was the fix?
2: So when the ball, when I take my hand out of my glove, what I developed was super short arm, which I would take the ball out and almost like a quarterback, you know, take the ball and go behind my ear like immediately, and then try to throw. So with a pitcher, you want to have some type of, you know, when you when you pull the glove the ball out of your glove, you want to, you know, it's almost like pulling back a uh, a bow a bow, you know. So you you need something to go back and then before you go forward. So so all I did was Leo said like, look, last year you know you're pulling out straight back a little uh, a little more, and then get up to your high point. And so that's all we did. That's all we tried. It's just me as if I'm just pulling my the ball out of my glove straight back and going from there. And I kid you not, that's all we did. And my velocity jumped up 8 to 10 miles an hour immediately.
3: So you get back with the Giants. Uh, you know, what kind of teammate did you try to be during your return to San Francisco when you left your rotation stalwart? when you, you know, coming back in, you're a guy who, you know, had to go to the Puerto Rican Winter League to to kind of rediscover yeah. some things, get a job. What were what were your goals heading back into San Francisco?
2: It it was, well, I mean, my goals were was, was to win and help the team win. Um I was back to confident again, you know, feeling like I was back to my old self. So, um but really going back, like I really tried really hard. Not to come in with any arrogance, um, and uh, which was hard to do because um, you'd been I a left, dude there. Yeah, after I left San Francisco, I did well there, and then I went to Atlanta and did even better. Um, and even though I, you know, got hurt and was terrible, you know, when I got to pitch, and then you know, so now I was back on the horse, and um, so I, I tried to make sure that I went there with without any arrogance at all, and um, so that was my biggest thing, is just to, in a sense, show everybody, like, uh, I'm going to work as hard as as I always have, so all the people that know me there, that they, you know, they would see that I I just continue to work as hard as I can, just like uh, they remember, to make sure that I'm always prepared, just like they remember, to get involved in the community again and stuff like that. And so, uh, but it was a great feeling. I mean, the, the people in San Francisco were so welcoming and, um, it it was, it was so great. And so when I ended up going down with an elbow, uh, injury, you know, I went in the DL three times that year and the last one, you know, meant Tommy John surgery. Like I felt so bad because Um, you know, going back to San Francisco, it was, you know, supposed to be like old times. It was supposed to be, you know, an opportunity to, um, kind of get back to what we were doing, uh, back from, you know, 98 to 2002. So, um, yeah, so it was really disappointing and, and getting hurt again, um, you know, mentally was really tough and, uh. Um, but you know what, It just, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, I went home and, uh, it ended up being something that was really needed because after getting hurt in 2006 and struggling, you know, mentally and with confidence and then getting hurt again, in, I mean, in 2005 and then getting hurt again in 2007, uh, seven, you know, I was like... This this is brutal, you know, and uh, and so going home and having to uh, have, not have baseball, in a sense, brought me back to, you know, which I mentioned, you know, a while back and, 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 uh, about college. is This just goes to show that I don't have control over everything, and uh, even though when I think I do, I don't, and so I just had to be patient. Because it's a thirteen, at least a thirteen-month process, and so so it may force me to be patient, it forced me to, you know, uh, regroup, um, refocus, uh, and it really forced me to appreciate everything I've gotten to do up to that point, and appreciate whatever happens. Well,
3: you come back from TJ. You you spend some AAA time with the Rockies, with the Yankees. You make it back. You make it back to the Astros for eighty five innings, and then twenty ten, uh, you get a few innings with the Dodgers. What after coming back from all those injuries after you know that long career? What what finally makes the decision to retire? What what's the the linchpin there?
2: So yeah, so when I, uh, um, well when I got to LA. So at the, that year, the Dodgers were number one on my list because I said in about year eight, I said to my wife, I was like, I would love to play for the Dodgers at some point in my career because that's, that's where I grew up watching. My family is all Dodger fans, all that stuff. So that year, the Dodgers were number one on the list, like places to go. Like, that would be my ideal place. Well, they happen to be the only team <laughs> to offer me a big league camp and an opportunity. So it's like, perfect. You yeah, know? it worked out great. So yeah, so I'm thinking, man, this is like, you know, almost, not. I don't want to say storybook, but this is working out perfect. You know, get to compete for a job with the Dodgers. If I make the team, I get to play for my, you know, uh "Quote unquote," you know, hometown team in front of my family, my friends, all that stuff. Couldn't ask for a better opportunity. So I get there, did real well in spring training, make the team. But I make the team as a reliever. Now, I really haven't relieved. Uh, I did. A, I did some with the the Astros, uh, a little bit, but I really hadn't relieved and. Uh, uh, um, since 2000, uh, since 1998. Um, so I did, I did with the, the Orioles too, but I mean, like I'm not a good reliever at this point in my career. And, uh, so I was disappointed because, you know, the spot open was for a starter position. And, and I said, if I don't make the rotation, then, you know, they even said that if you don't make the rotation, then, you know, there's nothing there for you and I said that's fine just want the opportunity so when I made the team and find out that I'm on a bullpen you know it's really disappointing but I was like all right I'm gonna do everything I can to to be as ready as possible and I just didn't do well and so uh, um, I remember I went into a game my second to last outing I went into a game and the first inning went great I think I got out of the inning I went to start the next inning and just started I think I walked a couple people, got hits and stuff like that. We were up by, let's say, like six runs. Well, unfortunately, the closer had to come in and close the job. That was supposed to be his night off. and uh, So then they pitched me the next night another inning, and I did great the next inning, the next day. And uh, I thought it was a little weird that they put me right back out, but uh, I didn't realize that, you know, the following day they were going to release me. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm glad that I got to, excuse me, I got to piss that next outing to kind of redeem myself, but the next day, day game, pitching coach, uh, Rick Honeycutt Rick Honeycutt comes and tells me, uh, Hey, uh, Joe needs to see you. <laughs> and I'm just like, all right, this could be it, you know? And, uh, so take the long walk from the outfield to the clubhouse, and you know Joe Torre's in there, Ned Coletti, um, GM the assistant GM, um, all that stuff all those people are in there and you know they do their spiel and then they tell me that they're gonna you know designate me and and then you know release me yeah uh, and they they said that you know if, if you know if I wanted the opportunity to go to AAA that uh i could you know do that and i told him i think about it and all that stuff so so i get home here in arizona i have three days of pass waivers and uh i wake up on the last day and i was like if i go to the minor leagues i was like there's gonna be days because of the age of my kids at this point there's gonna be days i don't want to be there i'm gonna want to be at home and so, as soon as I had that thought, I was like, "I just need to be done because the game is too hard to switch back and forth. I have too much respect for the game to if I'm not going to be there with my team 100% of the time mentally, then I don't need to be there. It's not fair to them and and stuff. So, so that's the moment I knew I you know woke up. It was a Wednesday. I scheduled golf with my buddies, so I went, you know, I went think about it. And, uh, once I cleared waivers, I was on the golf course and my agents, but I had determined I woke, I, you know, I told my wife before I left to play golf. I said, Hey, I just want you to know if I clear waivers. I said, I'm done. And, uh, so as soon as my agents called, said you cleared waivers. I said, there's you know two guys. And I said, are you both there? They said, yeah. I was like, okay. I go, I go, guys, I'm done. And, uh, they said, are you sure? I said, I'm positive. They said, all right you know, and so, uh, yeah, so it was a a really cool moment, uh, and uh, freeing, and felt like a weight was lifted, I felt like I could could breathe, you know, just take a big sigh of relief, and, you know, because my whole life, I just, this is all I wanted to do, and, uh, you know, I just been pushing, and pushing, and pushing, and training, and training, and all that stuff, and, and I felt finally I can just like just relax and just like man, you know, and and just enjoy and just, you know, enjoy the memories and uh, the experiences that I got to do.
3: If you could go back and and give any sort of advice to your 21 year old self coming out of Oklahoma, if you if you could sit him down for a conversation, what would you tell him about pro ball, whether how to handle it mentally or physically?
2: I, I mean, I would give the same advice that I got, you know, when I was. Uh, when I just came up to the big leagues, which is to always always pay attention, you know, never be late, um, do everything you can to learn as much as you, you possibly can about the game, uh, never stop asking questions, and, and enjoy the enjoy it. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, like I was saying, you know, a number of times, it's like there's there's a lot of things that we feel like we can control, but in reality, we can't. So, so really, not worrying about that other stuff is just taking care of the things that you are, are responsible for that you can control, and just enjoy it. Like never, I don't look back and and have any regrets um about my playing time i I gave one hundred percent every single day um i there was not a day where I let up and and I'm really um uh, proud of that and I can look back and not have one regret um and that's that's why I tell my kids when you know whenever they go pursue something and that's what I would tell you know a twenty one year old me is you know, is to put everything into it every single day, so when you're done, you don't look back and and have any regrets. Because I I know a lot of guys that have tons of regrets, and uh, I'm glad I'm not one of them.
3: Rush, you give me a ton of your time tonight. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you, and then sure. and then I'll get you out of here. Favorite park to pitch in besides San Francisco?
2: Um, I'd love pitching at Shea Stadium, old Shea or City Field? Old Shea, old Shea, old Shea stays. Yeah best hitter you ever faced albert Pujols. best
3: pitcher you ever faced
2: uh kevin brown really which
3: which which iteration? Dodgers. which team dodgers kevin brown dodgers
2: yeah that's it was scary let me tell you like i faced randy johnson and you know that was tough too but kevin brown i mean it was scary
3: he's got but, a hall of fame case that not enough people talk geez, about
2: yeah you hit seven big
3: league home runs. Which was your favorite?
2: Um, my first one. Who was it off? Elmer Descends. Again, he was with the Pirates. And uh, it was at Candlestick. Yeah, so my first one for sure. And, and then one I hit off of, Roy Oswalt. Um, that was probably my longest. Like, that was the one that I was like, I got that one. <laughs> and and uh, So that was, that was a cool one too. And that's
3: a good guy to get it off. Best food city in Major League
2: Baseball. I would say for me, uh, Chicago.
3: Awesome. Well, Russ, thanks so much for joining for Phenom to the Farm. Really appreciate your time. Uh, You gave me a ton of it. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, man. This was great.
3: Awesome. Thanks so much. You have a good
2: one. You too. All right. Take care.
3: And that's it for this week's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Again, a huge thanks to Russell Ortiz for being so generous with his time. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review as those ratings and reviews do help the podcast. Uh, Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm come at you every other Tuesday. Uh, Tune in in two weeks for the always entertaining Tim Dillard. We'll catch you then.